This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Jesse. I'm Greg. And this is Brian Murphy. Cool. Nice to have you, boys. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Jesse. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the Conan audiobook specifically, and uh, uh, I think Robert E. Howard in audio and Robert E. Howard in general. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Cool. Um, so, uh, I, one of the things I wanted to talk about for sure was, um, uh, have you guys read the story? It's not in this collection. Um it's called The Jackal by Robert E. Howard. I I have not read The Jackal. Okay. I'll admit is, is is that one of his uh what It's a I guess what what genre is that? It's a um it's set in uh, the east coast of Africa um on a uh, you know like a I guess in Kenya or something like that. Um and uh it's it's a sort of a ghost story. It's not really. Um it's actually a werewolf story. Um or jackal wolf story, or what have you. But um, I, I bring it up because it's 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 the most blatantly racist story I've ever read, <laughs> and I think this is an important issue to to deal with because uh, I think racism is throughout all of Howard's writing, but it's it's just more or less blatant when in some aspects of it, and I, I, I'm not sure that. Uh, it ruins his work. I don't think it does, but it's certainly something that should be talked about. Well, uh, I just think putting it in context in terms of when he was alive, um, you know, he, he still reached back to the manifest destiny, social Darwinism types. And uh, I think he approached it with with that concept, not not foremost in his mind but as part of the framework of who made him. And it's a it's a, it's a, you know, I can see making that mistake. I mean, living a, you know, in the in in a hundred years ago or or seventy five years ago, I can see applying Darwinism to socialism and thinking that that might be the way it works, knowing what they knew then. So I just automatically uh, sort of racked for that sort of. It, it never messes the thing up. This is a big deal over at LibriVox because. Like I myself have had to, I run into the N word a half a dozen times, and people worry about, you know, should I say it, should I not say it? And my point always is, you know, it's if it's a reasonable listener, then they're in context, and they'll understand, and they won't get upset. So, so you just have to assume it's an unreasonable listener who would object to you doing that sort of thing. Well, if so, they're doing a, a an unabridged reading and they don't do it, then it's not unabridged, is what I would say. I couldn't agree more. So I, 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 it's not my job. I may take editorial license, but it's not my job to edit the piece. And if the words are there, that's what I say. And I picked it for some reason because I thought it was important. You know, and a lot of times, like in the, the, the H. Ryder Haggard and the Jack London and stuff that I've done, it's about, you know, I, I went to Africa and met this amazing guy who saved my life and we survived a shipwreck and he took care of my kids and he so it's actually a positive story but they're just using the vernacular of the day and I just I just sort of ignore all that uh, mm-hmm. I think I think uh, that's an interesting you brought up Jack London and I think that's 
uh, I think Brian, you you've made, and we talked about that the connection between Howard and uh, London. Yeah, I mean, he. You look at who how Howard was influenced by, and uh, Jack London was certainly one of those writers. As a, they certainly share a lot in common. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, getting back to the racism a little bit, he, Howard also was a contemporary of and influenced by to some degree H.P. Lovecraft, who also had a lot of uh, uh, racist tendencies in his writing. So, you know, I, I, I do agree with Greg and, and yourself, Jesse, in that, you know, that was kind of a product of the times. You have to put it in context of 75, 80 years ago. They were writing in the 20s and 30s, and that was a little – it was a lot more widespread then. Um, I I do give Howard credit in that I think some of his earlier material – was more blatantly racist. I think as he as he wrote over his you know a, a very short career, admittedly it was. Uh, I think there's there's less and less of that in the, in the stories. If you look at the Solomon Kane stories, a, li- a little more blatant, a little more heavy. Yeah. The the Conan stories, with a few exceptions, I think it's 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 much lighter. Um, yeah, and, it, it know, still informs of course, the of course, work. Conan came after Solomon King. Yeah, it, it's it's it still informs the work, and it's sort of like the the bones under which the the story is is written. Uh, yep. Right, and also you can be an honorable person regardless of what group you belong to. Yeah, in yeah he does stories. seem to he does seem to be um, uh, fairly fairly even. With uh, his racism, um, but he does seem to. Yeah. Th- I think. I think it's basically the 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 issue is that if you believe race exists, that makes you a racist. And back then, people thought there were such things as races. You know, there was a distinct group of people who uh, are evolved this way, and another distinct group of people who are dis- evolved this way and that there was a competition between these races to evolve and that if if you accept those initial premises then you do get these uh frightening conclusions that are uh gonna make you believe all sorts of junk that doesn't make any sense right well there there is a grain of truth in every stereotype whether you use it or not I mean, there's a reason those stereotypes are there. And so, you know, it, it's it's natural for people to want to just organize things into simpler things in their heads. That's probably why we have the problems we have in terms of running this planet is because everybody wants to look at it as a simple thing. And it's not. It's a complex thing. And that's just a natural human tendency. And so when you apply that to race, you end up that way. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, it's not my thing. I don't. I don't I mean I I grew up in a in a bad neighborhood with gangs that were based on racial lines. Um so I, I don't know if that's a unique experience but um it it just caused me to ignore any outward appearance. Like if you ever met me and sat here and talked to me you might be a little uh annoyed that I basically don't look at people i listen and you know i'm listening for vocal micro tremors and all that sort of stuff and um and it it unnerves people because if you ask me something i will look away from you to answer and that's (laughs) on purpose you know i do that on purpose so um you know i just don't 
I, I mean, I don't want to sound like Stephen Colbert and say I don't see color. I think I think that that's one of the funniest reactions, and I, I, I like I like it's 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 that he has an inability to d- detect the differences. Correct. Um, I see it, but I recognize that all things are equal. It's mm-hmm. Just the way things are. Well, uh, I think we've we've successfully uh, dealt with. Uh, Howard's thorough, thorough racist uh, r- racism, uh, but that's not all he's about. Um, what what story struck you in this collection, uh, Brian? You want to go first, or yeah? Well, I guess. Well, first of all, I I very much enjoyed the uh, the audio production. I thought it was uh, very well done. A couple minor glitches. I did a review actually of this book mm-hmm. for. Uh, the SSFaudio.com website. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't think Howard's best Conan material is in here. I think it's got a couple great stories. Um, I would say that my two personal favorites are Beyond the Black River and Red Nails, which appear later. Um, these were really these these are appear in the uh, in the order in which they were written. So you know, this is a lot of. Howard's earlier Conan material, but there's some there's some great stuff in here. I look at like Tower of the Elephant is one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a classic. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Of course, um, you know, Scarlet Citadel is very good. Queen of the mm-hmm. Black Coast is probably the highlight for me in this collection. That I, yeah. I thought it was mm-hmm. an excellent story. And I, I also enjoyed the uh, introduction by uh, Patrice Patrice Lunier, if I'm pronouncing that right. I believe I am. He's uh, he's been a um, in Howard's studies for quite a while, he's he's done a lot with French uh, French adaptations of Howard material. He wrote a great introduction for the book. I think it's a you know it's a it's a terrific introduction to Howard's material. As as I said, I don't necessarily think all of his best stuff is in there, but this this there's some great material in there. Well, if they if they put everything good in the first collection, then uh, no no, no right. reason to buy the second <laughs> one. That's right. Um, yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, let's. Why don't we? Why don't we talk about each of the stories, or at least uh, touch on them, and um, and see how it goes. So, um, start. Uh, collection starts off with uh, the Phoenix and on the, the Phoenix on the sword. I always want to say and the sword, but it's actually it's a little symbol that's put onto the sword. Yeah, um, it's engraved. Yeah. Right? Now, um, of course, uh, this. If you read some Howard, you you probably would note that it it feels like a, almost an identical to another story um, with another king named Cull. What's, yep. it, what's that one called? The uh, the Cull story? Yeah. Um, I think it's called... Jeez. Um, uh-huh. uh, it's called Kings in the People Night? No, the... no, that's not it. People of the Dark? No. No, hang on. Hmm, okay. Uh, it's... I just saw it here. Anyway, I know what you're talking. About. Yeah, there's another. There's a cull story that's that's virtually identical, um, and I can't I can't for the life of me remember its name at this moment. However, um, that's not surprising given that uh, a lot of his titles are like sort of like Doctor Who titles. You notice that? <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. got so Doctor Who is you know the power of crawl or. You know, day of the Daleks. That sort of, you know, he's got sort of a. They've got a pattern of how how to make a title. And for Howard, basically, you take uh, 
an object or a mythical beast and then add a color. <laughs> yeah. Mostly black or crimson. Okay. Um, he, he, uh, that, don't you think that was a weird tale standard, though? I mean, that was... Good, good question. I, I, I'm not sure. I haven't read enough to... Uh, I mean, stuff other than um, Howard's and, and Lovecraft to say whether that was common. Is it, Would you say it was? It, well, when I was a kid, I mean, one of the most interesting things listening to this thing to me is is that, you know, these stories are stories that I read when I was 12 or 13 years old and then was subjected to the pastiche that they talk about in that great mm-hmm. introduction that Brian was talking about. And, you know, it colored what I remembered. You know, decades went by and, and I actually incorporated like Arnold Schwarzenegger into my image of this thing. And it, it just brought me back to square one. Um, I had a, I had an uncle. At least these, most of these things weren't in print for years. I mean, you couldn't get them. They would print the Elsprague de Camp ones and and that sort of thing. But you couldn't get the original Howard stories. But I had an uncle, when I, well, a friend of the family who everyone called an uncle, who who actually had been subscribing to Weird Tales since the 1930s and had every single one of them. That'd be nice to have. And, uh, yeah, well, they're, they're, that's a long story. They, they're gone. I tried to get them, but they're gone. Um, but at any rate, I actually read these as they were back then and had this as my original image and had completely forgotten it as the decades have gone by. I mean, completely forgotten the the center of this character that, you know, instinct trumps civilization and that uh, all of the travel, uh, you know, broadens his mind and make him, makes him a thinking man. And he's more honorable than the civilized guys. And, you know, little things like I love the idea that if you, I mean, you know, Crom puts the breath of life in you. And if you ever ask him for anything ever again, he'll kill you. <laughs> and and I, I just, you know, I'd forgotten all these wonderful ideas, and they all came rushing back to me as I listened to this thing. Yeah, it's um, it. Uh, I found the name of that title, by the way. It's called "By This Axe I Rule." Um, yeah, it's the, yeah. A, a cull story um, that got reworked into this Howard, this Phoenix, this, uh, Phoenix on the sword. And um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think you make a good point there, Greg. It's um. It's it, he is really working some ideas, and um, I, I was reading something. I, it might, might have been on the Sumerian or one of the uh, Yahoo groups, um, talking about uh, a le- I think it was a letter between Howard uh, and uh, Lovecraft, and he yeah. was saying that he was uh, he wasn't so much for for plot. He was he was all about mood, you know that that's what he thought was imp- was important. Um, in a story, and I think if if I think back to some of the stories, uh, uh, certainly um, plot does help. But his stories work generally because of the mood. I think he he does bring uh, sort of a a couple of ideas, and then he gives you the the a visual sense of what's happening. Yeah, I, I think I think of it more of as an attitude. Okay. It, yeah, I, I I I would also agree with that. I'm sorry, I had to I had to jump out there a minute, Jesse. That's why I didn't hear from you. No, me. no problem. Uh, I'm back here again. So, uh, yeah, just just to, just to touch back on what Greg was talking about the 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 you know the barbarism versus civilization, and you know there's there's a lot going on underneath Howard's material, and it, he's a he's a great uh, storyteller in that you know his stories 
there's a lot of action. You know, uh, they move at a fast pace. They're they're easy to read. They're fun to read. But I also I I, I do agree that you know there's a lot uh, going on that's a little bit worthy of some closer study. I mean, you look at um, you know the, you have uh, his his theories about how the world works, how civilization works, and how you know kind of mankind and his cities are destined to fall over time. You you, you know they. He, he he believed that you know uh, people would carve out a kingdom and that it would it would be great for a short time and then it would eventually over time grow corrupt. Uh, this people would grow decadent and it would collapse. And he was kind of had a very pessimistic view of humanity. If you look at if you look at his his stories as a whole, um, so that's just you know th- th- there's there's a lot going on under his stories that I think most people don't uh, you know. They look at the action. They look at the cinema. They they look at what's been done with the adaptations in cinema, which is a whole other program in itself. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily you know Howard's uh, strengths. It's it's one of his strengths, but it's not all there is to, to Robert E. Howard. Certainly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And you know, I I don't um, think that uh, it, it, it it's not the kind of. I mean, there's all these authors who I really love, who either killed themselves or went crazy. <laughs> so it's it's not hard to uh, understand that pessimism in humanity when you look at, you know, what he did six years later, which is kill himself. Um, so I don't know why I'm attracted to these kinds of things, but they never make me feel the way I think the authors felt as a result of writing them. Hmm, well, I'm, I'm not sure that we can... Uh... Uh, find the answer to that one per se, but um, certainly uh, any any sort of extreme uh, is is interesting, especially when it's not happening to you. Um, and he yeah. he certainly felt things extremely. Yeah, yeah, um, but but in a different he was looking for order, whereas like the other end of the spectrum, I would say is Phil Dick, who was trying to define chaos. Mm. And it it made both of them abnormal, I guess, if you want to look at it in a, in a strange sort of or, way. Well, but, it might be you know, that they were abnormal, and, and that's the result, rather than you know they're they're okay, okay. nature nurture, yeah. sure, sure. Um, yeah, I don't know one way or the other, but what I know is people who live on that edge have been very instructive to me over the years, and I don't understand why I don't want to kill myself. <laughs> Well, um, I mean, I'm having a good time. Yeah, so well, there's lots of plenty left to read, is what I the way I look at it. Yeah, (laughs) plenty of things I got to read before I go. Yeah. Um, what about you? What about you, Brian? You feeling a little suicidal after hearing some of this? Yeah. Well, I that's that's been the, the the I mean, unfortunately, if you look at Howard's life, that his suicide is will always define him, and you'll. You know, when when obviously he committed suicide at age 30. Um, and, you know, this, there's been a lot of talk about the reasons why. And uh, this, there's actually two very interesting biographies of Howard out there that are really the opposite end of the spectrum. You have uh, Dark Valley Destiny by uh, L. Spragney Camp, who was a, uh, a noted swords and sorcery writer uh, of his own. And then you have actually just recently, I think it was 2006, a guy by the name of Mark Finn wrote a book called Blood and Thunder, 
Um, and he wrote it very much as, uh, an, as a uh, reaction against Dark Valley Destiny, which a lot of Howard scholars have a lot of problems with Dark Valley Destiny. Basically, you know, Dark Valley Destiny starts and ends with um, Howard's death. It, it really focuses on that, and it, and it looks, it, it, it uh, creates some, a, a picture of Howard that a lot of people don't agree with. They, you know, DeCamp thought he was very attached to his mother. He was very eccentric. Um, he was a kind of a flawed type of a genius. And um, I think... It, I, th- I, I, you know, I, I, I think some, some of the material in there is, is good. I think some of it, he, he, a lot of it, he took from interviews from people that actually knew Howard. He, he did go out and do some of his research, but he does draw a lot of conclusions from that that a lot of people don't agree with. Um, and I think Mark Finn tries to balance that out. He actually highlights the fact that Howard had a lot of friends. Um, he was successful. If you look at the, if you look at the period in which he lived, the Great Depression. He actually made a lot more money than a lot of folks in his immediate town. Um, he had a girlfriend. I don't know if you've ever seen The Whole Wide World, yeah, it's, which is a great, it's a, great. I'm uh, amazed that movie a, got a made. Great movie. I, I, yeah, I, so am I. It, it was, it was a, it's a fantastic film. I, in fact, I encourage anyone listening who wants to know more about Howard to watch it. I think the general consensus is it's very well done, very fair. Um, and you know it's it's hard to really nail down a reason why someone commits suicide. I mean, you you look at his some of Howard's early poetry, and there are some uh, suicidal uh, thoughts throughout it. Um, you know, he he was very obsessed with uh, physicality, and he kept himself in great shape as a boxer. And who knows? He turned thirty. I you know there's there's some thoughts in some letters he's written that uh, his best years were behind him. You know, it's 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 hard to just say that he was, you know, obsessed with his. I mean, the, the, the easy answer is his mother died. He went out and shot himself, which he did. But I think there's a lot more that goes into a suicide than something like that. And and, and he just uh, um, over the course of his life, he, there were some signs that this were coming, but a lot of different reasons. I mean, he, he moved around a lot as a child. Um, he didn't have a lot of close connections and. You know, it's 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 uh, it, it's certainly worthy of, of of more study, and I think maybe the the reasons lie somewhere in between. If you look at the the extremes of those two books, as I mentioned, it's um, but it's it's a it's a fascinating topic, and it, it'll always it's always going to define Howard because because of the young age at which he killed himself, and it's and uh, you know it. Who knows what he might have gone on to do? There's a lot of speculation he was turning into. He was turning towards westerns and some more re- realistic types of, of fiction. He certainly loved also uh, historic fiction. And I guess we'll just never know, but it, it, it makes an interesting exercise. Sure does. Um, I, I, I like to um, – the way I like to think about it is maybe he, he had some bipolarity uh, in him. Just given – you know, it's, uh, Conan has gigantic melancholies and gigantic mirth. Mm. This sounds like a recipe for – you know, uh, big depression and uh, big, um, right, you know, if he goes on, if he if he wrote in fits and starts, but it sounds like he wrote pretty steadily. But if he if he was, you know, acting um, manic and then uh, getting into, you know, long depressions, that would 
fit of bipolarity, but I, I don't know that there's a lot of evidence for that. And I don't know if that really contributes to the stories. I mean, in, you know, literary criticism, which is, you know, a lot of people consider as crap, uh, but, but, you know, <laughs> before postmodern literary criticism, everybody thought you could essentially discern the mind of the author through the text. And now the postmodernists think you, you can't see anything about the author. The, the author himself didn't understand the text. And so you have to take the text as a group of words and look at it semantically and blah, blah, blah. But the, the you know, when I, at least when I have written, I don't write what I think. I write what other people think I think. <laughs> and so there's, you know, it would be hard to figure out me from stuff that I've written. So I don't really see that much of Robert E. Howard, the man, uh, you know, information on that level coming through in these stories. He has transcended that, which is what you want to do. He created neo-mythology. And... um it's, well, you certainly it, it, could say that he cares about these things. I, I, I can't imagine you, you could you know, sit down and say, Howard wasn't interested in, um, in physicality. Howard was not interested in um, uh, you know, history and, um, and race and uh, certain ideas about you – know, I mean, he loved poetry. It's, it's, you, know, right. you don't put poetry in your story just because it's, it's fun. You put it in because you love it. Not because the right. readers are demanding it, and I'm not saying that it, it doesn't work. I'm saying that um, you can tell a lot about Howard by what he's writing, but it you can't certainly map one character and say this is him and the other ones aren't him. I, I agree. I, I meant yeah. that you know in in developing a biography of the man, I I could not have as my only source material Definitely not. his writings. Because you know, there's there's obviously stuff in there that attracts all of us here to to that stuff because of who he was and his interests overlap with ours. Um, but yep. you know, is that telling me about me or is that telling me about him? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I, and going back to the Blood and Thunder for a minute, I keep drawing on this book, and I'm not selling it or anything. <laughs> I just say I highly recommend it. But uh, sell it to me cheap. I'll, I'll buy it. <laughs> Uh, one of the things about it is, is is Mark Finn really takes a look at where Howard lived, and he, he obviously lived in, in Texas, um, early 20th century, and as, and as we, we know from history, there was a lot of oil speculation going on at that time. You had you had towns that kind of uh, grew up overnight. They, they were poor, and all of a sudden there'd be an oil strike, and money would be pouring in, people would be pouring in, um, and that really did, uh, as I think Finn convincingly points out it, it really informs Howard's stories. You, you know, you, you have these cities sprouting up and all this uh, wealth going on. And, and in many ways, Howard was, um, he was embittered by that because his father was a, was a physician and he frequently had to go out and there was, uh, it was, it was kind of the wild West still going on at that time. It was obviously the, you know, Period. Cowboys and Indians were pretty much over, but those those towns were wild. There was a lot of violence in in those towns. There was a lot of hard drinking, fighting, and that kind of informs Howard Howard's writings. Just just his own environment. I mean, it's, as as Finn I think said, you know, you can't take you can't take Texas out of the man, and and you know, and in many ways, you know, Howard was a Howard's material was a product of of where he grew up and. 
and kind of the rough and tumble life that he lived. Yeah, I agree. You, you he could not have done this, you know, living in New York during the birth of jazz. Mm-hmm. You would yeah, have so. to be in Texas <laughs> to do it. So that's right. Well, uh, when when uh, Lovecraft went to New York, he did write uh, some interesting stories based on that. So I, I wonder, yeah, but... I wonder what those stories would be like if uh, Howard it's had true. gone to New York. That might have been a. But I think Lovecraft's mom was the problem, and she had already twisted him by, like, age five. So you could have plopped him down anywhere, and he (laughs) would have freaked everybody out. It's it's an interesting point, but Howard does like to write about – he likes to write about cities. He he likes the countryside, but um, it sounds to me like he never – you know, the the places he went weren't big cities. And yet uh, in in the stories of – this collection even we have um conan mostly in cities i would say oh well, maybe not it's it's mixed certainly in mm-hmm. uh tower of the elephant we've got a, a yeah city he's he's usually at a population center unless he's hiding in a swamp or something but um you know i don't know how old everybody is here but you know i'm beginning to notice people not remembering what it was like when I was younger. And when I was younger, the, the population centers was where the books were. They, it's where the records were. It's where all that stuff was. You, you, could, you didn't have an internet. You couldn't look any of this stuff up. You couldn't order it online. You couldn't do anything like that. You had to move to Manhattan to get that stuff. And, um, you know, I, it, it, there's this intellectual undercurrent in these big cities that you can hook into based on what neighborhood you're lived in and all that sort of stuff. And and um, it actually promoted a type of dialogue that I can't find now on the web. Um, and, and so I can see authors of that period being very attracted to you know large population areas just to get at the resources. I think in mm-hmm. The Tower of the Elephant, uh, there's a, a, a bit where... It says Conan sat down in the uh, the courtyard, uh, the agora, and and listened to the philosophers talking. And he sat there for a couple of days, and and then get walked out, saying, you know, what the hell are they talking about? It makes no sense. <laughs> um, yeah. And then goes. That's actually a, it, that's a great point, Jesse. One of the things that people think about when they hear the character of Conan is, and and I I I blame the films for this, although. I do enjoy Conan the Barbarian, admittedly. It's not Howard's character. I think it's a good swords and sorcery film. It's an excellent film. Um, yeah, Oliver it is. Stone. But, but, but pe- people think of Conan as kind of a dumb brute, and that's, that's really based on the films. Um, he actually was not. And if you look at the very first story in this, The Phoenix on the Sword, we have Conan. I believe he's uh, involved in writing on a tablet i mean yep. or, or on a scroll i mean he's his the, our first encounter with him and we, we have to remember even though this is later in his career this was the first published story of conan it's the first one readers were where they were first introduced to him as a character um he's he's involved kind of doing kingly duties he's not on the battlefield yeah he's not uh, you know he doesn't have a woman over his shoulder or a treasure chest under his arm He's actually kind of lamenting those that those days are gone, and and uh, and, and you mentioned too uh, Tower of the Elephant. There he is. He's he's listening to the philosophers. He kind of although his ultimate uh, he ultimately says it's a bunch of rubbish. Um, it shows he he sat for days thinking of this stuff. I mean, and and he is a thinking he is a thinking character. It's it's not always apparent from 
I, I think the name Conan the, the Barbarian doesn't do it uh, justice. Yeah. Conan the Sumerian is, is really the more appropriate ter- uh, characterization for, for that However, character. But, uh, we have we yeah. have to say that, you know, Howard, is he loves to, you know, apply that title to Conan. I mean, it, it he, he says it at every opportunity. You, you know, they, they call him a Barbarian, and he accepts that uh, not as an insult, but as a, you know, a badge of honor. Um, so. Yeah, and well, I mean, the, the the whole term barbarian is, it's it's kind of been confused over the sure. years. It's it doesn't it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that foreigner outside yeah. sitting around in, in skins, animal skins, and eating off of a, a meat bone or something. It's it's somebody who's yeah a foreigner who's outside of uh, the the traditional established order, and and um, it's it's its meaning isn't it's not isn't as pejorative as, as, as we think of it as that's correct. Right. Correct, but he he does have a philosophy. He's almost Conan the Epicurean, if you if you want to look at it that way. And just <laughs> just as people through the ages have sort of you know, like the church has gone way out of its way to cast Epicurus as a sort of discriminating hog, when that wasn't at all what he was. And and the same thing is true here with Conan. And it's it's just because his approach is misunderstood by most people. And since it's not applied to the real world, nobody gets angry about it. They just they just read the stories, but um, you know he is an honorable thinking man who has a definite philosophical framework, and he lives by it no matter what, even if it's going to get him killed. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, he he basically his his philosophy is that I'm going to live until the day I die. That's right, and, and that's that's an incredibly important message. Yep, it it works. It works too. I I wanted to uh, just making the connections here. Um, one of the uh, one of the problems I have with a lot of fantasy is that, um, especially like, and I'm always hitting on poor Harry, but Harry Potter is the exact wrong kind of uh, fantasy that I don't like because it uses magic um, for everything. And in in the uh, first story, The Phoenix on the Sword, the, the magic is fairly limited, and when it does happen it happens in a similar way as it does in the second story the frost giant's daughter the in the frost giant's daughter not forget about forgetting about uh um you know these are gods but just the way things appear um and disappear uh it's it's similar to what happens in the end of uh the phoenix on the sword some people think he's crazy right uh, some people think Conan's crazy. There's no monster in this room with you, even though there's a stain on the floor that won't go away. <laughs> yeah. Or um, they say, what are you talking about? There's no woman uh, and there's no guys you killed the, the, uh, in the Frost Giant's daughter. Um, yet he's got ev- we've got evidence for both. Um, so uh, the magic is used to lend an element of mystery and fascination, but it's not... Um, used to solve the problems, as they put it in the comics. You know, right. if 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 it bleeds, we can kill it. I guess is is the thing. Uh, you know, um, in, all magicians and all magical creatures can be harmed by good cold steel in your hand. I guess is is the the message, and I think that that that's one of the things I really always have enjoyed about about Conan. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, the, uh, Howard's, I guess, philosophy with this was that 
and I, I say Howard, I mean Conan, but Howard behind it perhaps, um, was that people kind of carve out their own fate. You know, there there is there is nothing called fate. You know, there, there's no, I mean, if you want to look at it, it's most bleak. You know, there, there's no God in the sky, uh, existentialism, you know, where, you know, um, I guess the only thing the only thing we we have is our own sword arm, our own strength, our own convictions, and you can do whatever you want. You carve out your own destiny. Um, and Conan, you know, proves again and again that, as as you mentioned, that that cold steel and his his own strength um, allow him to rise from, Jesus, you know, a savage barbarian born on a battlefield. Uh, to becoming king of Aquilonia, as we see him in, the, in Phoenix on the Sword, and and I think it would be um, out of character and out of uh, it would be it, it wouldn't work if if magic was the trump and the be all end all because that's that's not really what the Conan stories are about. It's it's about how um, you know the 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 lowly or the outsider can rise to become as high as he would like to be if he's strong enough and tough enough. And as you mentioned, it you know the, a lot of fantasy does use magic as kind of that crutch, and it allows authors probably it, it, it allows them to write them write themselves out of situations easily because they can always fall back on this, and and it, it, yeah. it's a nice little bow on things, but um, or that magic certainly is not the way focus, Howard uses it. Uh, of other of other fantasy. It's it's right. It's that's what. That's what they find fascinating. What what I find fascinating is the is the opposite. I I actually prefer the stories with the least amount of of you know some of the like people of the black circle. I think is it, that's one of the ones with uh, a lot of um, sorcerers. And when the sorcerers are talking about all the sorcery that they're doing, I just think you know like get on with it. I want I want to move to the part yeah. where the the ideas are less esoteric i i yep. think that, yeah i think that the recurring theme which shows up in a number of these stories where um conan and some civilized man who has been educated um are both confronted with something magical and the civilized man looks for some logical explanation and to conan magic just is he just accepts it it's the evidence of his senses and so he doesn't question it, try and figure it out. He just accepts it and starts swinging at it. Um, and, and um, you know, that too is a, you know, it's, a, it's actually, even though we're talking about magic, it's actually a pragmatic thing to say, you know, I accept the evidence of my senses and in this world, these guys can turn into bats or whatever it happens to be. So, um, you know, and, and so while the civilized, educated man hesitates, Conan dives in. And yep. once again, that's a really important life lesson right there, whether you want to believe in magic or not. Well, I, th- I like the, the – that's how it, it's he, – he, Howard wants to put awe into the stories, and you get that with just – Frost Giant's one of the shortest stories, if not the shortest Conan story. Is that not true? What do you think? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, yeah, it obviously is. It, it's, yep. it's basically a, a little vignette that uh, – It's a chase scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a chase scene with the with the idea of um, you know he's not just chasing any old girl through the hills here. He's chasing a daughter of Ymir. Yeah, and um, I I, th- I think that 
it, it sort of encapsulates some of the it's it's not a great story but it is uh, a very good story and it sort of encapsulates uh, a lot of the appeal of of Howard's stuff in a very small very small it's it's less than half an hour I would say um, yeah yeah I mean I I, I I think part of the appeal of Howard too is even though we've been talking a lot about his deeper themes and I mean, let's face it. His stuff is just—it's a, a fun read. Absolutely, it's, it's fun. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. it, it was. It was. It was written for the pulps. Um, it was written for an audience where that didn't have television. You know, radio was was still new, and and that's how entertainment was delivered, and and it was meant as entertainment. I mean, there's, there's as we've seen, there's a lot more going on in them than just uh, sword and swords and, and sword play, but. Uh, Let's. He he had to write with with an eye for keeping his audience entertained and keeping the action moving. And you know, a lot of his stories. That's really what they are. Uh, I don't. You don't necessarily have to look for a deeper meaning in everything he does. I think. I think the Frost Giant's daughter, uh, perhaps, is one of those stories. Um, you know, it's 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 a it's a great. I, I think Greg called it a cutscene. Maybe that's a good way of looking at it. It, it it you know not a lot going on in there, but you know it's well written, um, wonderfully described. The opening scene on the uh, of Conan versus the um, I don't remember who it was. One of the was it one of the Vanaheim or um, the guy he's fighting on the the last survivors on the battlefield yep. was you know. Mm. That's all. That's all part of what what I like about it. I, you know, it's it's also the it's it's the story. You know, it's just the action too. Yeah, and I think that they were. I think that a lot of authors of this period and still to this day um, lament the loss of the ability to just be a freebooter to just go and do that and and civilization has made it so it's almost impossible to do that anymore and so what you get is this image all through the stories this undercurrent of conan being a caged tiger and 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 he's just trying to figure out how to get out of i mean it's all it's almost and i don't want to get off on a riff on what they did to the prisoner but uh-huh. you know um, well well i mean mcguin was a caged tiger just like conan is a caged tiger this new prisoner guy i don't know he's a self-actualized est graduate i don't don't know what the hell he is but anyway um the point that all of this power had to be under control it 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 had to be focused it had to be you know that's why he's a thinking man you know what i'm saying and and to keep this you know to to keep the idea of the fact that there could be a lone tiger wandering through the wilderness alive in this enormously amorphous and spreading civilization that prevents you from doing that it's uh that that brings one of the ideas that brought up to me when you were saying that is is howard does like to um describe people as animals you know uh he's the lion he's amra he's um He's a jaguar. He's a wolf, right? Um, and and his enemies are dogs, right? The difference between a wolf and a dog is not so much the genes, but in the behavior of you know the wolf is free and uh, it's it's dangerous, whereas the dog can be dangerous but is cowardly, um, is right. submissive, right? And that's sort of the the opposite of what he is. Um, I guess yeah. that yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. I was say, and, and in particular, when he's contrasting Conan with these softer, civilized types, you know. Let's he, talk about that in, in the God of Frequently yeah. uses pantherish and tiger, as Greg mentioned, yeah. to describe yeah. his his, his uh, movements and his actions in battle. It's it's not uh, necessarily that he's the most skilled sword fighter. It's it's that he's uh, a savage, really at heart, and that makes him superior in, in Howard's mind. Well, he uh, he uses those attributes not just for Conan, but uh, in yep. Tower of the Elephant, he describes the uh, Taurus, I guess is the name of the other thief, uh, who's, yeah. who's described as having a pod belly. Um, he's still lithe and pantherish, uh, but he learned from the guy too. Absolutely, remember yeah. the guy? He like he didn't hide the body or something, yep. and yep. Uh, right. Okay. Yep, it's it's a it's a, a very um, that's a that's an excellent story, Tower of the Elephant. But uh, I want to talk about the God in the Bowl. I think this is a very strange uh, Conan story. Um, it's a it's a murder mystery. Yep. Yeah. It's a murder mystery. It's a detective story. Um, and yet, it, it, it's 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 it. That's not Conan. You know, Conan's not a. Uh, he's not a. You know, in a locked room mystery in a cozy. Uh, you know, teapots and it, it doesn't. It's it seems like a strange um, setup, but I think it works if you if you go back to what uh, Howard says. Is you know, I'm a mood writer. I I, I do mood yeah. really well and. Um, it, it has a it has an excellent reveal, but um, what did you guys think about this as a as a, a detective story? Yeah, I mean, well, H- H- Howard actually wrote you know they, they were more of a hard boiled detective story, but he he actually wrote some of that stuff um, as well. So it it, it well it, it certainly shows his his range as a writer. Um, but yeah, I. I I enjoyed it. I, I don't think it's one of necessarily the stronger stories, but you know, certainly, it, and he he certainly had a thing for snakes. We know that. Yep. <laughs> this was a little bit yeah. of a different different type of a Definitely snake. Definitely a different different face on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh, I, I I like it. It's a nice it's a nice mood piece, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure it's a terrible detective story. Um, and what what struck me, I guess I've read this before, maybe a couple of times. I, I think I heard this one twice. Um, Conan's not very smart in this one, and that's unusual. Um, he sort of lets slip. Um, you know, he he he's honest. He says, uh, "I was here to steal something," but he lets slip that it wasn't what uh, they expected. The detective sort of tricks him, and I guess we can blame yeah. that on him being young. But I would be more likely to think that that's, you know, it's it's just what Howard was trying to reveal information. He was trying to give information to the plot, and so it it, it doesn't reflect well on on his intelligence in this one story. Um, I think that I think what's significant here, and I may be making something out of nothing here, is that it's the third story. Think about think think about your favorite band's third album. <laughs> Okay. I mean, okay. The the first one was all the pent up stuff they had before they were famous. The second one is them getting used to being famous and sort of doing a little bit more of the same. And then the third one, they say, well, we're going to stretch. We're going to do an acoustic album. We're going to show people, you know, the, the true width and breadth of what we're going to do with this thing. And so, you know, I mean, if you, if, and I, I'm sorry to keep bringing back to music. If someone asks you to play three songs, you know, if someone asks you to play one song, 
you play an upbeat song. If someone asks you to play two songs, you play one up and one down. If someone asks you to play three, you play one up, you play one down, and you pick one that says, here's who I am. Here's where we're going next, it, you know, in the back of my mind. And this thing isn't completely formed in my mind yet. So it's only going to have whispers of where, you know, a, a sort of, you know, an image of where we're moving forward to. Okay. And the fact that it's third is just saying this is deeper than you guys think. This is I got more here here than <laughs> what you've seen so far. I I I I I I went. I was looking at the. I don't know. I don't know if that works. I I like the analogy, but I, I'm not sure that it works. <laughs> um, except to say that it says that it was first published in uh, 1952. Um, it and it was published in Space Science Fiction, which to me is not a great fit. It it it's it. it if I were guessing, and I would be guessing, um, I would say it was like he's trying to sell it to some fictional market of like fantasy detective magazine or something. I mean, they had so many different kinds of magazines back then. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I can see why and, and, it didn't sell to uh, Weird Tales, um, assuming that it was it was submitted there. I can see why it well, didn't I, sell I, there. Again, just, just to go back to... to uh, Conan's character a bit. I think, sure, it, it doesn't come across as smart. I, 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 I the, Conan certainly had a code, and he had some sort of morality. Um, oh, definitely a barbaric, barbaric code, perhaps. But I think it was. I'm an honest I'm remembering thief, he right says, now that. that he didn't. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he he just didn't care about lying. It wasn't in his nature. He just told yeah. it as it is. He was here to steal something, and that was it. I, no, I think, he he actually he he tried to conceal what he was going to steal. But um, okay. the the detective tricks him in, the, in that, uh, you know, the captain of the guard or the investigator says, you know, we've got the house surrounded and um, you, we've got this dead guy. You you killed him, didn't you? And he says, no, I'm just here to steal. Don't accuse, don't say I'm a liar because I'll kill you. <laughs> well, yeah, but he 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 did say I'm here to steal. I mean, he pretty did. much. He, he he doesn't have a lot of guile to him, and that's that's part of him, just him being a barbarian, I guess. And it. Certainly, when when you compare it to, you know, uh, kind of the, the civilized way of life where we're lying is a something we all do Absolutely. to some degree or other. That it, you know, that's just that, that that's just the way he is. So I, I maybe Conan is not the best character for a detective story. Maybe that's why the story isn't one of one of Howard's best. I I, I like the end and I, I like the mood, but I, I think it's not it's yeah it doesn't work as a uh, he he's not he. He's not the f- focus of the story until uh, a lot of it, but let's let's not dwell there. Let's let's continue on. We talked about the Tower mm-hmm. of the Elephant. I think I think that's a fun story. Although um, the more I think about it, the less I think that you know uh, it's this is an alien creature that looks like a man, uh, except he has an elephant head, and I just can't imagine the. Uh, the evolutionary benefit of having giant ears and uh, a big long nose. Uh, I mean, it, it, the creature was all tied up. No, he wasn't tied up. He was, he was tied. He had been tortured, tortured, but he he can still reach out and touch things with his nose. I think, you know, if you're going to break things, uh, you know, you're going to break somebody's body should break his nose too. Cause it's a hand. That's what that, that's what that's for. Exactly. It, it's exactly. an excellent. It's an excellent mood piece. But the more I think about it, the less I think that that's a good alien. 
Well, I, I will say this. I, I, I wrote a little bit about this one when I was as a separate story when I was uh, listening to the, the, the CDs. Mm-hmm. And I think what makes the story great, it, well, it's got a great buildup. It's got the, you know, the two guys trying to break into the tower and it's overcome all these traps. You get the lions, the spider. Mm-hmm. So it's got a lot of, of fun, exciting stuff. I think what makes it up, what elevates it above just being uh, action and plot is 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 the introduction of, uh, of the elephant uh, Yagkosha. Mm-hmm. Yagkosha. I'm never sure how to pronounce this stuff, to be honest with you. <laughs> but uh, you know, he, Conan kind of sits at his feet and he, and he learns about how you know the how the, the world was created. I mean, Yagkosha is ancient, um, millennia old, and he's able to give us a good picture of how the Hyborian Age came to be, mm-hmm. you know, how how Atlantis rose from the ocean, um, uh, was, I guess, consumed by the ocean, and how different races came in, The you know, how the Picts swept in. and um, But this this was all before Conan had published his, uh, his essay called The Hyborian Age, which um, describes his world. So this was kind of the first glimpse that a reader would have of the world Conan lived in and I th- I think it works really well it's it's a you know and and it certainly adds just a whole new layer of depth to the story it it very easily could have ended with you know um Conan going in and killing the spider and taking the jewels and um the tower collapses I think having that encounter really makes it a special story I I I I, I don't know. I just enjoyed that. Yeah, it's, it, it is a special story. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think I, I think the first reading of it I had was in the adaptation uh, with Barry Windsor Smith doing um, the art. In uh, yeah, I guess that was one of the early uh, Conan the Barbarian Marvel Marvels. Have you guys read any of those, by the way, the comic books? Yeah, I'm, I'm reading the oh. the most recent sure. Dark Horse collection called Samaria. I think it's called. I gotta say that's how I got into Robert E. Absolutely. Howard was through through the Savage Sword of Conan, which yeah, absolutely the black and white, the old one. black and whites, yeah, yeah the old yeah. magazine sized black and whites, and and they, I I still think they're fantastic. In fact, I still own all my copies. I'll probably never get rid of them. I've got yeah, mine too. In the, <laughs> you know, they're in the, they're actually they're actually pretty decent adaptations. I mean, obviously you have the space restrictions, and you got to cut some of that material. But you know, the artist they had, Barry Windsor Smith. Um, was actually more on the Conan yep. the Barbarian side, but then you had John Buscema, and you had yeah, you, know, you, you had Ernie some terrific Chan. Ernie Chan, some some great artists, and when you combine that with you know Howard's storytelling, I, to me they they were just a, a marvel. <laughs> yeah. No pun intended. No, no pun intended. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> That's right. Definitely. Although although technically they were uh, Curtis <laughs> um, when they first came out. Uh, Savage Sword, and I guess it was uh, the the preceding the Savage Tales were under Curtis Publications for some reason. Uh, okay. Uh, because they uh, some comic code authority issue, but uh, I think they switched over back to Marvel. That's right. You know what? I I think Savage Sword of Conan was not bound by the the comics code, which yeah. they were able to put in a lot more of the a little bit more nudity decap- and nudity, decapitations, and of course I liked all that. All this black Still blood, blood. <laughs> black and white blood. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So we'll have to really thank, you know, Robert Crumb for all this because he created the <laughs> underground thing, which forced the mainstream guys to move into more interesting stuff. <laughs> Definitely. 
All right, uh, so where are we in this uh, chronology here? We've done um, up to the Tower of the Elephant. The Scarlet yeah. Citadel. I, I am drawing a total blank when I think of Scarlet Citadel. It's one of those Doctor Who titles. It, I know I've seen it, but I don't remember what it is. What is the Scarlet Citadel about? I'm trying to remember myself. Hang on. I remember the next one, but... Uh, Scarlet Citadel. Okay. Um, from 1933? Is that right? Uh, okay. Says, I should know is, these better. <laughs> the Scarlet Citadel is one of the original <laughs> short stories starring, starring Conan. Um is set in a pseudo-historical... Okay, we have already read The story includes Shosha Lanti, who is an evil wizard whose sorcerous arts help ensnare King Conan. Okay, so he's old in this one. Well, middle-aged. I, I don't think Conan's ever yeah. old. Right? He's just aged or wizened. Right. Oh, no, that makes right. him sound old, too. Um, uh, the Scarlet Citadel is the second one to be printed in Weird Tales. And King Conan receives a call for help from Amalarius. That's what I thought it was. He goes off with 5,000 guys, but it's a trap. Right. And yep, there's 15,000 right. waiting for him. That's the one. Right. He's thrown into a pit and he fights the giant snake there. Yes, um, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, when I was a kid, I, I was collecting Conan, uh, Savage Sword of Conan, and the Barbarian. And uh, then when King Conan came out, I thought, oh, this is cool, another Conan comic. Um, but I always thought that uh, I'm not sure why there are so many Conan as King, because it doesn't seem to fit his character. You know, even in even in the um, in the first one, he or wait, no, maybe it was this one. He was saying, um, you know, I'm not sure why uh, I need to care about all these people uh, who hate me, but I'm king, damn it. And so I will. Right. And it doesn't sort of fit with his, his previous nature. So he sort of had a sea change in his, mm. in his uh, attitude towards, you know, controlling, I guess his own, his own life was foremost. What he desired most was foremost. And now he, he cares about this kingdom he's ruling. It says, you know, my taxes are are the lowest taxes in all of the Hyborian <laughs> right. kingdoms. And then he's like, well, I'm voting for Conan, but I'm not sure what you're saying here. Well, he, he always takes responsibility for what's going on around him, and that keeps growing through his entire life. So at the point where it turns into an entire kingdom, he has responsibility associated with it. I know, that's perfectly in keeping with you know, what I would think of as his evolution as a human being. Okay. So you, you think he is, he's sort of coming to this point where he, he becomes king. He, he never loses the barbaric edge, whatever you want to call that thing, but he does grow as a human being. It's just that his philosophy always allows for barbaric activity because that's the nature of the world. Um, uh, in the Wikipedia entry, it, it notes that yeah, it is. It's similar to a, a similar plot, a similar uh, scening as in the Hour of the Dragon, which is the, the only novel length uh, Conan mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Um, which it says it also tones down the uh, supernatural elements uh, in Hour of the Dragon, and uh, I, I think that 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 that's not 
been collected yet, has it? Or if it has, it's in one of the later collections. Yeah, not that I know of. Yeah, so um, that's a, a separate issue. But yeah, I didn't find uh, Scarlet Citadel particularly memorable. Um, it had that. It had the great kind of the comeback story at the end, where he, you know, he, he uh, has the battle and uh, kills the sorcerer at the end, and you know, it, 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 it's it's well well described the, in terms of the final combat there. Yeah. You know, as a as a fan of that stuff in fiction, you know, mass battles. I thought it was pretty well done. Yeah, uh, he does do battle very well. Yeah. <laughs> very, <laughs> very well. Yeah. Uh, right now, I, I think I think perhaps my favorite Conan story, Queen of the Black Coast. Yeah, Love Lost. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. He's got those gigantic um, melancholies in this one. He also has right, gigantic right. mirth, but... Right. And, and with gigantic melancholies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I love the adaptation they did in uh, in Conan the Barbarian. It I think it spanned like forty issues or something like that. Maybe not that many, thirty thirty five or something wow. like that. And what they did was they they took the beginning story, uh, you know, the first bit and the last yeah. bit, and then there's the a few lines, maybe a par three or four paragraphs that describe the stuff in between when all yeah. all the time they spent yeah. at sea. Um, and that's what those those filler issues were, you know, the stuff in between the the whenever it started, I guess, you know, issue forty or whatever, up to issue one hundred with with the iconic cover of Bellet Dead, right, right, the double sized issue or triple sized issue for issue one hundred, and um, and that so I when I I'm not sure which I read first, but um. I thought that the, it, this this is a fantastic, fantastically well done story, and I'm not sure that it's been you know it's not exactly like any other uh, Conan story out there. It doesn't have the exact same. Um, I mean, this is this is part of the elements that they stole for uh, the the original Conan the Barbarian movie was was from this, and part of it was from Tower of the Elephant. And part of it was from, you know, three or four other things. Yeah, but I don't you know. I think some of the best elements uh, of Conan are in this story. So you, you guys talk about it for a while, because I, I, I know I love it. Well, I, I, I think that, you know, from a characterization point of view, it's the one that makes him a, a whole person, a rounded person. You, you, you see him learn how to love. And that's a very difficult thing to approach when your protagonist is a barbarian, um, you know, and to make it seem real, uh, that sort of thing. Um, you know, yes, I, I realize they took a hunk of this and put it in the, the movie, but, you know, I really, I mean, it's not that I care that much. You know, you guys know Oliver Stone wrote that yep, script, yep. right? Okay, okay. With, with John Millius, mm-hmm. I believe. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it just, to me, it reeks of Oliver Stone. So I sort of discount it completely. Um, and I, I realize those, those portions have been sucked out and used. And I, they've been used, you're absolutely right, Jesse. They were used to much better effect in the comic books and gave you two or three years worth of stories that you didn't even have. Um, and, and that's because the framework of the thing 
was, you know, the characters were realized properly. The exposition was done where you can imagine it actually happening. And so if you're the type of person who wants to fill in the blanks, you've got all the raw material you need for a year's worth of pirate stories. Absolutely. And, and that's because it's so well constructed in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic story. Yeah, and, and it's got the, the kind of one of the iconic uh, lines that, that Conan says that really reveals his character. She's, uh, Baylit's asking him uh, what, he, what Conan believes in, you know, what's kind of his theory about uh, life. And he says, um, I'm trying to find it here. Yeah, let me live deep while I live. Let me know the rich juices of red meat and stinging wine on my palate, the hot embrace of white arms, the mad exultation of battle when the blue blades flame in crimson. I mean, that's poetry right there. And I am content. Let teachers and priests and philosophers brood over questions of reality and illusion. I know this. If life is illusion, then I am no less an illusion. And being thus, the illusion is real to me. I live, I burn with life, I, I love, I slay, and am content. So basically, yeah, he, he's, he is, oh, it's, it's all about this life, the here and now. It's not about a promise of something better because there probably is nothing better. I mean, his, his, his God is Krom, who's unforgiving, who gives people strength to, to succeed in this life, and that's really all he promises. There's, there's nothing beyond it. Um, it's, really, it's, it's really a great portrayal of who, who who Conan is and I guess to some degree what Howard himself believed in. Definitely. Yeah. I, I like that they also that, that was in the original Conan movie as well. Uh, in a much less uh, in a, more, a scene played more for humor. I, I now, now that I think of it it's probably played more for humor when he's uh, tied up or made a slave and they ask him you know, no, wrong! That's wrong! What's not best <laughs> in life? What's best in life is Crush your enemies. See them driven yeah. before you, and hear the lamentation of their women. Um, I believe that's a quote from Genghis Khan. That's right. Yeah, it's a little bit modified, but it is. Yeah, yeah. and um, you can almost you can almost see that that's you know if if Conan has a historical um, you know antecedent that matches his character, Genghis Khan sounds sort of like the guy, or Genghis, I guess is how we're, we should pronounce it. Uh, it sounds sort of like the guy, um, you know, to to conquer the jeweled thrones of the world under his sandaled feet or, you know, under his horse's shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, well, but, but Genghis Khan started, excuse me, Genghis Khan started out attempting to unite disparate areas, except for Afghanistan, which is still a hole that... <laughs> They have the same problem with, but, um, uh, you know, Conan, I think Conan let life lead him. He was actually a Taoist. He followed his way and he ran into the stuff that he was supposed to run into. Um, and so he, he never shirks from his fate. He, no matter what it is, you know, if, if I have to die here, I have to die here. And that's, that's the way it is. And I'm not going to sit around and lament uh, you know that this thing has changed here. So, um, it, it so it's more of a you know, Genghis Khan intended to rule the world. Conan just ambled his way into kingship. It's true. Um, uh, I wanted to also talk about Bellet a little bit. Um, or Belit. How do we how do we pronounce her name? <laughs> 
umlaut or something over her e. Yeah. Just oh, actually, just to diverge on that, I wanted to mention that when I was listening to the the CDs, I, I kept getting thrown by the pronunciation. I I've always said Sumerian. Yeah. Cimmerian is what he says. Yeah, he they 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 say Cimmerian. So it, it, I was it surprised by that too. To, yeah. Yeah, I, that, I've also heard, I, as I mentioned, I think when I, and I reviewed it, I heard some people want to use, say, a hard C, Camarion yeah. is the right word. So who who really knows? I think the only person who would know, obviously, is Howard. But Well, if you're, if you're going back to the Latin etymology of it, then it would be a hard sound. It would be a K sound. But okay. I don't think that's, I don't think Howard, I mean, I've seen a map of, and I, I mean, I also, have you and you guys read the Clark Ashton Smith stuff, the guy who basically laid out Hyboria and all that? And, and, and um, you know, Howard tries to sort of make his Hyboria fit into Clark Ashton Smith's Hyboria. So there's a lot more information about the, the actual topology and what's going on out there if you want to go to the, to the Smith book. But um, I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, about no, take it away. You, you were talking about how the, the how the, the pronunciation was and oh yeah, um, I also said Cimmerian and and they said and I was surprised by Cimmerian, but I said you know submariner and I then I heard Stan Lee say submariner. So I, I, weird, you know, weird uh, submariner. I, it just doesn't make sense. But but anyway, um, so. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I don't I don't normally quibble over pronunciation. This is another big deal for me because I make these recordings that, you know, I run into a lot of words where no matter where you look, you, you can't find, a, a, you know, a diacritical description of how to You have to do your uh, best. That's the, things. But right. if, if, if in doubt, try and look it up. And if you can't look it up, then you just do your best. Yeah, and there's places, there's like websites like Forvo and guys like that where you can actually type in some Russian word and a Russian has recorded himself pronouncing that word. So there's a lot of, oh, there's a ton of help out there for that sort of thing. But if I were to look at this and there, you know, there is no real world Cimmerian, Cimmerian, you know, I would say Cimmerian Mm -hmm. because it's natural for people to push the middles of words together, not the ends. If if you just look at the, the country name. Cimmeria uh, does not sound yeah. like it, it, Sumeria is is a real place. Cimmeria yeah. uh, does not follow the same pattern. It should right. be Cimmeria, I think. But it's okay. It, 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 I didn't throw me that much. It it threw me the first time I heard it, and then I I didn't dwell upon it. But um, let's let's talk about Bella's character. I, I, um, there's a quote here. Um, the wildest she-devil unha- unhanged. Unless I get the signs wrong, it was her butchers who destroyed that village on the bay. May I someday see her dangling from the yardarm. She is called the Queen of the Black Coast. She, she is a Shemite woman who leads black raiders. They harry the shipping and have sent many a good tradesman to the bottom. Um, what is her issue? I mean, she's she's a uh, a great, iconic character, but... Um, the more I think about it, the more I think she's like a Greek, uh, someone out of a Greek tragedy that I've never heard of. You know, she she's she's got a tragic flaw, which is uh, greed, I guess, or avarice, something like that. She she's she's proud, and Conan loves her, uh, but he knows she, she, he knows she is flawed, deeply flawed. I think. What do you think? What do you guys think there? 
I think it's the kind of flaw I'd be willing to overlook. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that's what she she's kind of a pirate. I think I think she, Conan likes her because in many ways she's also kind of amoral. You know, she's just out for loot, for plunder, for you know, living in the here and now. And he probably sees a lot of himself reflected in her. Yeah. Yep. Um. The the uh, final. I I love I love the description of of the as they turn up that river. You know the poisoned river. Conan's you know saying, well, I I'm not sure we should. He, he's not he's not afraid so much as he's he's. Um, he goes along with it despite his better judgment, I guess. That's I'm I'm recalling this, so I could be wrong, but no, you're right, and that goes back to my, you know, that he's a Taoist. He he just follows his path when it presents itself to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, Even if that path is death. And then oh well. And then he gets to the end, and Ballot finds all her gold that she wanted, all her treasure. Yeah. And uh, and and then. The, at the end of the story, he's got he's got nothing but all these great memories, right? All these horrible, horrible sadness that he's he's got, but he's still alive and off to another adventure. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, hey, I suppose you you know can't can't take that all with you in the afterlife. You know, it's it's very uh, transitory and. Yeah, it it does show him on the deck at the end of the boat, kind of. It's not explicitly stated, but you know, it's you know he's kind of playing that through his mind. It, it again shows him being very pensive at the end there. Yeah, I don't think it, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a great story. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. A lot of people use the word brood brooding for for what he's supposed to be doing. I don't think he's brooding. I think he's just sort of makes it sound like I'm a vampire from one of those Twilight movies or something. Well, it makes it sound like he's he's lamenting something that happened, and he's not. He's just trying to put it all in order so it makes sense in his head. He He's not one to brood because f- philosophers brood, and he doesn't do that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He, it's not brooding that he does. It's it's just it's just incorporating what's just happened into his personality, something we all do. Yeah, well, but, but, it, yeah. Since he's not swinging a sword, people think he's brooding. Yeah. I would agree with that to some degree. I I think, you know, I think he's made up his mind already that there isn't that much going on here in life. Um, That the the gods, if there are any, are, are, uh, they don't care much for what's going on 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 earth. And it's, and it's really up to us to, um, make our own lives. I, th- I think he understands that. I think he's made up his mind. I think, you know, if you look at, go back to the tower of the elephant, he he's heard some of their, their some of their arguments. I think he's, I think he understands them. I don't think he buys any of them. I, I don't think he <laughs> thinks there's anything really worthwhile other than what you can make on your own. Um, that it, it's Robert E. Howard's stuff is just, it's, it's very different than, um, what we think of when we think of traditional fantasy, you think of the long three book epics yep. and, you know, there's, there's uh, great evil in the world, great good in the world. And, um, the world hangs in the balance of all these stories. And, you know, the, the, the Conan stories are really, 
they're episodic. They're just about a character who's, um, in many ways, um, amoral. He's he's not really black or white. I I, I wouldn't call him an anti-hero. I I don't think he's a. Um, I think he's got a, a rough code to him. But it's really it's it's more about you know him living and and making something of a really kind of a a, a tough crappy environment you know and 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 carving out an carving out an empire for himself just out of his his own sword arm i mean it's it's appealing in many ways it's empowering um it's also pretty grim when you think about it you know i i i don't obviously conan didn't believe there was um and really in much of an afterlife i think he describes um Crom and you know where where he's going to be going after he dies is just a land of of mists where you wander eternally and kind of limbo. So it's it's um, he he knows there isn't much waiting for him afterwards, and um, that's kind of the way it is. I think with him, it's 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 it, this, the stories aren't this. There's no happy ending, I guess, for any of it. Okay, sounds good. All right. Or depressing, but <laughs> <laughs> um, Black Colossus. Now, again, this is another story featuring um, a wizard uh, at, at the center. Um, but we do see Conan in a new position. He's, I guess, the general of a mercenary army. Is that is that how we would put it? Yep. Um, again, I, I, I find for some reason... Some some of these stories don't stand out that well for me. Um, there's a guy in here called Taurus, which I guess uh, Howard liked to sort of recycle, not just plots, but also names. Um, if that's not exactly the same as the, the thief from... Um, mm. from uh, Tower of the Elephant, it's very close. Well, I, I suspect he was adapting existing names based on the names of the countries in Hyboria. Certainly Conan's uh, uh, recycled. Uh, right, right. And so he may have – I mean a lot of times when you research these things, you, you come at the same phonemes, but they come from different places. One comes from you know Sumer and the other one comes from Sweden. Mm. Um, and so he may have gotten the inspiration from something that just coincidentally happened to be a homonym. Yeah, I guess that's the word I want. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I don't, I mean, naming conventions are ultimately, I mean, it, it's great if you're using it as a hook, like like Douglas Adams would use it. And, and you actually remember the name because the name's funny. But the the ultimate end of this is what you're left with, your memory of these stories. You don't remember the guy's names. Oh, right, that was the magician. Um, and so I don't, I don't. I understand the recycling of these names, but I, I have a, a suspicion that he found it in history in two different sources and wasn't really trying to link them together or reuse it. He just saw it as a completely separate thing. Yeah, I, I, I think you can take each each of the stories alone. You don't have to. I mean, it, the way people would have been reading these back in the 1930s would not have been uh, in a big collection like this. So it's it's not as big a deal. But, right. Um, uh, one one thing that does strike me that's kind of interesting is um, uh, about we've got sort of the analogies of um, uh, Ymir, I guess is uh, I mean it, it's called the Frost Giant's daughter, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Gods of the North, I think, in the original publication. Um, Ymir is obviously a frost giant, um, a kind of frost giant god. That's that's a traditional god of Norway, I guess. Uh, Correct. And um, I don't know that Ymir is a traditional god of Norway. I don't. I doubt it very much. But it certainly does fit with that that um, logic. Um, Krom makes a good case as being, you know, kind of like uh, Odin or some sort of um, uh, less caring Odin, <laughs> um, hmm. uh, with less, you know, with fewer and less less uh, talked about brothers and right. family. Um, but who the hell is Mitra? I, you know, I swear by Mitra. What's the analogy hey, there? Mitra is one of the gods of the other countries. I don't have the map in front of me, but it's. But uh, no, I'm saying in our world, what's oh is, is, oh. is Mitra like the Christian god? I'm not sure. Oh, I, Mitra's closer to Zoroaster or something like that. I, uh, I mean, Brian, I didn't. No, go ahead. You know, I'm 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 not sure myself. I, I you know I I know that the Hyborian Age is our world. It's the Earth. It's just you know pre-cataclysmic. It's I forget when it's set, 12, 15,000 years before, you know, it's, it's, the continents are all, are all joined together. It's pre-continental drift. Um, I, I don't know there's whether... A, there's a real God I wouldn't Mitra, say it was but... a Christian God because, because obviously this is well before Christianity was established. I mean, I, I don't know whether... I'm, I'm actually not sure about that myself. There is a, a real God whose um, name is Mitra. Well, not a real god. There, there is a god whose right. name is Mitra, but it's it's from the Indian um, pantheon, and uh, it doesn't sound a lot like like um, uh, what I, I mean. Aquilonia. I always thought of Aquilonia as France, right? And if it makes sense, if if uh, or some you know collection of countries like France or Germany, something like that. So it's it, if if we follow the logic. Um, you know, Ymir is is a Norwegian god, and Krom is a you know god of of the north um, as well. Uh, Mitra is the god of the south and the southerners, and I guess there's Ishtar off in the east. Is Ishtar one of their gods in the east? I think. Anyways, I don't remember. From the comics, there was a living god. There was a guy who was a god. Maybe that's more like this uh, pharaoh or something. But. Um, it, Mitra, Mitra is the god Conan swears by second most, I would say. You know, um, by Krom, I'll cut you in half. Uh, by Mitra, he, he's happy, especially as a king. He's very happy to swear by Mitra. Um, then Mitra may be the the god of the country he's king of, the yeah. one that's just south of his country. What, what's he king of? Apo- Aquilonia. No. Oh, Colonia, that's it. Um, so, yeah, it might be a Mitran god. Don't we, in one of these stories, meet a Mitran priestess? Oh, there's lots of Mitran, Mitran priests. Uh, I, I, I think um, in the first story, the, the the priest is a Mitran priest. Yeah. But, yeah. but I, I just, I, I, you know, I've read it for years and years and years, and I just, it, it sort of want, makes me curious as to, um, Mitra's sort of a, a, I guess, a much happier god than is Krom. That's not that's not uh, saying a lot, other than you know, almost all of them are going to be happier than Krom. But right. it's a it's a interesting situation because we've got all these people who uh, believe in Mitra, but 
we don't know that much about Mitra, as far as I can tell. It might be one of the questions for the guys at the Sumerian Good website. Question. Some of those guys are, are what I would consider scholars. They know a lot more than, than I do um, about the various places, names. Um, I'm sure there's someone who, out there who could tell you that. I'm, I'm, I'm actually not sure about Mitra myself. Okay. Um, you know what I can do for you, Jesse, is I'll, I'll ask one of those Thanks. guys, like uh, Deuce Richardson. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. All right. So um, Black Colossus, uh, I, I don't have a lot more to say about that one. Um, why, don't, why don't we just um, uh, talk about the ones we're interested here in the rest of this collection. Uh, we've got Iron Shadows in the Moon, which, again, is a, it's, it's a bit different of a title from the others. Uh, but it doesn't draw any strong memories for me. Um, you guys? N- no, no. The, the only one that I would be interested in, actually, I guess two in the remaining. Rogues in the group, House, somebody's going to mention. R- Rogues in there the House go. was yeah. one, and probably the Pool of the Black yeah. One was the that's, other. That's got some stuff to talk about. And I don't know what about it is compelling to me. I just remember being compelled to it as a as a good framework for a story. Rogues in the House, I guess, is a little bit uh, like The God in the Bowl. It's a locked room mystery, sort mm-hmm. of. Um, uh, Iron Shadows of the Moon, it, 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 it's been adapted uh, as a comic, and I, I read it, and I don't remember it. Um, and uh, in this, this collection, I, I remember enjoying the stylings, but not enjoying the plot, uh, not remembering the plot. It's a, a woman named... Uh, Olivia with Conan, they find their way in the dark uh, on an apparently deserted island where they spend the night sleeping in an ancient ruin decorated with remarkably lifelike statues. Right. Olivia has a dream in which she sees a band of men turned into those statues and wakes, convinced they will come to life in the moonlight. <laughs> yeah, that's the one where they all, yeah. and they just basically wreak chaos on the pirate crew and... Right. Yeah. And, uh, Conan's able to escape, but uh, is this set in the Villiet Sea? Is that is that? It, it, maybe I that's... believe so. Although I, I'd, I'd have to look that. I'd have to. I'd have to. Yeah. It's. Um. I remember reading very when when it was published in the Savage Sword. Um. In the back, they had a uh, large collection, uh, multi-volume uh, detailing of the probable outline of Conan's career. I guess it was, and it tried to place place chronologically where the stories would fall and make make the case for you know why why it would be this way yeah you know i love the idea that howard they talk about this in the introduction you know if you met this guy and he was whatever 60 years old he wouldn't tell you stories chronologically he'd say when i was 20 mm-hmm. and then when i was 40 and then and that's the way they're presented and i i just thought that that's was... a it's a excellent argument for presenting them this way yeah yeah yeah, well, yeah, and then you had the the, the pastiches. They 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 reorgan uh, the um, the Camp Carter books. They reorganized the way the stories were published, and they put them in it. They tried to create a probable outline of Conan's career, mm-hmm. and they actually wrote some of their own stories to fill in the gaps um, of variable quality. Yep. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I I think presenting them in the order they were written, you kind of see. Howard's evolution as a writer to some degree, and th- that's why I feel you look at, I think his final story, Conan's sto- published story, was um, Red Nails, which is a, which, which is a my favorite 
Conan's story, I think, I think is best. But um, it's very good. You know, it's very, very. There good. is, there is, so there is something to say for publishing them as they were written. It, it kind of gives you a, a, a glimpse of how the, the character evolves over that time, and I think, you know, sticking it in some artificial order based on how old Conan was at the time is, you know. I, I, I know why they they did it. It, it, it kind of gives a nice character arc to some degree, but really wasn't. It you know if you if you're looking at it from a purely artistic point of view, and you want to see how how uh, Howard evolved the character, it, it takes you out of that. You know, and, and as Greg said, it, it it does feel like you're actually, um, you know, you're listening to a, a tail spinner, and he's not necessarily gonna take you in some chronological order it's you know it's the stories as they occur to him i am working on 32 right i've upped the number of stories to 15 i've also increased the maximum length to 70 minutes which is allowing me to get at a bunch of other stories of you know manly wade wellman and who did I just do Donald E. Westlake and guys like oh, that? Oh, uh, so, did you? Was it Risk Profession for Westlake? I did it, and it's up there. I did it a That's couple a days story. ago. Yeah, it is. It is, and yeah, I would I would go after pretty much any of the Westlake. I you know if it pops up. So I've done both of his public domain stories. What's the other one? Uh, uh, they also serve. Uh, it's about a species hiding on the moon in the late 50s, hmm. and they're essentially vultures. They're waiting for us to blow ourselves up, and then they eat the radiation. Oh, I don't think I heard uh, that one. And it's, the, it's the, the little tentacled guy that lives on the moon meets with the captain who brings his supply ship, and he's all freaked out because he, he had to move the dome from above ground into a crater because all of a sudden this little stupid automated thing came and flew over and took pictures, and and the guy's sort of at, at wit's end, and, you know, he's like, I wish they would just kill themselves for God's sake, and they have this, you know, discussion about, well, we could just tell them we're up here, and that would make them crazy, and then they'd kill themselves, you know, I mean, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but... But in the end, they, they are philosophically like vultures. They're like, well, we wait. When you're dead, we get it. So, I'm I'm a big, big, big fan of Westlake. Uh, Me too. Um, the uh, only other science fiction he did, other than I guess those two, uh, no, wait, there's he did a novel called Anarchaos, which um, heard of it's, it. It's yeah. fun. It's fun. Um, it's it's also uh, it has the most frightening kind of. It has the only real kind of horror. All horror is body horror. Right, right, um, right. And the main character has his hand cut off um, about halfway through the novel, and it's like oh, okay. he has to deal with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's a, it's set on a planet called Anarchaos, um, which has uh, corporations taking advantage of the. It's it's basically the idea is, um, it's it's a planet of anarchy uh, mm-hmm. and chaos. There's no laws. There's no uh, you know everything's right. enforced by, you know, the guns and strongest guy. Exactly right. Yeah. But there isn't a strongest guy. There's a bunch of other stuff. And the the planet is um, circles a star called Hell, and it, okay, and it's um, it's 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 not excellent science fiction, but it's fun. And thanks for having you, uh, Brian. Hey, I appreciate you having me on, Jesse. This was a lot of fun. Great. We'll do it again sometime take, soon. Take care, Greg. Take care, Brian. 
Okay. So we've lost Brian. He has to go deal with uh, uh, a sick daughter. Okay. Yes, sir. Problems. Uh, he was the guy with the open window. There we go. <laughs> um, so uh, let's just um, let's just uh, wrap this thing up, shall we? Let's let's talk Sounds about good. um, uh, rogues in the house. What do you? Th- what do okay. You think? Uh, what about you? Have any thoughts on pool of black one? Um, pool of the black one. I mean, it it was. It was a very standard structure, and everything was completely predictable, but there was something about it that just attracted me, that an ineffable quality that I can't exactly point to um, that you know made it pop out in my head. And the same thing with Rogues in the House, too. Um, well, Rogues in the House is a much, um, much uh, more iconic story. I, I guess uh, yeah. well, the black one has its moments as well, but... Um, Many people think of Rogues in the House when they think of Conan, I think. That's true. That's true. And it is it is a, a, a defining type of story. Yeah. It um, has sort of the elements uh, that, I guess, or as they – motifs, as they say. But um, it's got the, uh, the, the ape man who wants to replace his master, right? Right. And, and right. he thinks if he just puts puts on this cloak, he'll look just like him. But it's also sort of a, a murder mystery as well. Yeah, yeah. And you know, in the in the pantheon of everything he's done, you know what I found interesting actually, the liner notes do not include this story. No. No, my, I go from the pool of the black one right to the veil of lost women. It says there's only thirteen cuts, and there's actually fourteen. So uh, somebody at the uh, the publishing house missed one. Okay, there's some some mistakes with um, this collection, uh, discs not being labeled, etc. Yeah, as well. And if that's the only issue, then no, I mean I I downloaded their description of it off the yeah. web, and it does not list one of the stories. And the story it doesn't list is Rogues in the House. Right. I'm not sure if that's meaningful or anything. I'm not but, sure. And if that's the only mistake they've made, they're they're lucky people. Um, it's called the Jacobean Revenge Story on Wikipedia. Um, okay. After the death of Shakespeare, the poet Ben Johnson was leading figure of the Jacobean era. Um, Johnson's aesthetic hark back to the Middle Ages rather than the Tudor era as his characters embody the he- theory of humors. Uh, according to his contemporary medical theory, behavioral differences result from a, pre- a prevalence of one of the four, four body humors blood, phlegm, black bile, or yellow bile right. over the, the other three. These humors correspond with the four elements of the universe. So this is a, a, um, a, a kind of, um, I guess, like I was saying, you know, the, the background behind a story uh, that informs the, I mean, there's not a lot of science going on in reality, right. but there's a lot of, um, you know, you can, Syllogistic thinking. you can definitely yeah. look at Howard as a reaction to Darwin, uh, a long distant reaction um, coming from coming from the prevailing culture. You know, what do pe- people are animals and people have evolved. That's what is the, the background behind that. And that sort of fits with with rogues in the house as well. Yeah, well, it definitely yeah. fits. I, yeah. And but I don't think that. Uh... I don't think that Howard was necessarily in opposition to uh, Darwin. Uh, 
I think he just applied it to the way he of his worldview, and it and it made sense to him. It's it's hard to look at the processes in the world without seeing evolution. I don't mean you know apes to humans or anything like that, but you know, I mean, whenever I'm faced with somebody like that, I always say, you know, I take out my cell phone and I say, look. You know, how does this thing work on the on a general level? And maybe they'll say, well, there's, you know, there's circuits and there's electrons and we make the electrons, you know, compete to go down certain paths and all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, competition for resources. Well, that's evolution. So it's everywhere. You know what I mean? And and they they tend not to they see it where they want to see it because they have to get through the day, but they don't see it when they don't want to see mm-hmm. it. Uh, and uh it's just, it's just selective amnesia, and uh, and I don't think that Howard was being selective about Darwin in in that regard. I think he accepted it for its obvious correctness and just applied it to his Cimmerian world. Um, it it also plays into the, the there is a uh, religious aspect to a lot of I mean. Conan de- deals with a lot of priests, um, yeah. you know, troublesome priests. Who will rid me of this troublesome priest? Well, right, Conan's right. happy to rid people of priests. Right. Or, Very little regard for, for the priests. Or priest. steal their their icons or whatever, happily. Um, right, right. But uh, I, I, it almost works as, um, uh, you know, you could take Conan out of this story and put in something else. It's very... Um, it it lasts in the mind. It persists in the mind, and I think that that's rather rare to find an author who's who's got a, um, a, a more than one story that really has persistent value. The man that's yeah. been replaced by his his underling, but it's a it's an animal, right? Um, so in right. Uh, I guess it's, it's Clifford Cimac has um, dogs replacing humans uh, when the last man has died. The the uplifted dogs are have taken over. Um, in okay. that case, it's it's a um, it's sort of a um, a sad thing. Um, in this, it's a, it's a it's an uppity thing. You know, the the apes are getting uppity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess you could. See, you know, it, it never even occurred to me to look at it in that context. But yes, I can I can see that. Um, you know, I just think that Howard had a a historian's approach to things. And so he was looking, he was measuring it in, in millennia. And so that sort of takes the whole, all of the petty day-to-day race and crime and, you know, all the other problems that are in society out, because now you're looking at societies coming to existence and then crumbling and then the next one and so on and so forth. So your view is so incredibly long. It never occurred to me to focus on it in in terms of short term you know what was happening in his in his actual present day which i'm sure it affected it significantly and that's my fault for just <laughs> never looking at it that way but yeah I, I i agree if you're if you're a man living in that time that is the way you might conclude things actually you know work if you but it's fantasy so it, it is it is absolutely fantasy the way you want them to work but who knows um uh... I also I think uh, you know we've got we've got uh, I don't I don't even Nabondius right that's one of the 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 characters in this but uh, I think Thack it's such a great mm-hmm. name 
You know, yeah. I mean, it's it's it could be one of those knock many knockoffs they did of Conan in the seventies. Uh, yeah, you know, easily. Bor- Borak or whatever, all the different right. names they give back the barbarian. Um, yeah. It's a very primitive sound, but um, I think that's also one of the things that Howard is is really great at is is um, just placing the words very well and. And uh, it, I mean, this is kind of a improbable story. It's, it's a, it's a house full of traps, and um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't. The plot is, you know, sort of beside the point. I think he's, you know, he's executing mood extremely well, and I, you know, he's got these couple of ideas going that just are great to to witness. Um, right, but I'm not sure it's right. a it's a it, it's not a it's not a story that could be adapted to a film uh, without completely rewriting it. It's it, and that's yeah. It's I'm not saying that it should be adapted, but I'm, what I'm saying is that um, some of these stories work on a very visceral level, and I think this one does. I don't think it works on an intellectual level. I agree. I agree. It appeals to you at a at a more universal level. And and I believe that someday it will be adapted to film, and we <laughs> probably, won't like it. Probably, we will definitely not like it. I, I, um, I I'm sure I like some of the scenes in the trailer because it it has some great visuals. Yeah, yeah. If you boil it down to a trailer, you do see all the best eye candy right there in one fell swoop. Um, but uh, you know, you you these things are are considered, and especially in Howard's time, all of this stuff was considered fluff. This wasn't serious stuff. You you know, you'd go to a, a at least when I would go to guild meetings and people would say, you know, what are you doing? And you'd say, I'm writing science fiction. They'd say, oh, but, you know, what are you doing seriously? You mean writer's guild? Yeah. Okay. And um, there was a time years ago when I did this professionally. Uh, but, but anyway. Um, what what the, they mean by uh, what are you doing seriously is, is like – well, what you're, what I'm writing is serious. I'm not getting paid for it either. But I'm writing right. it seriously. I'm seriously right, writing right. it. Uh, right. And 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 but the problem with that, you know, and this was when I lived on the East Coast and I was in New York, and you know, a zillion people show up to write the great American novel, and then they do an infinite amount of research. They get hooked on heroin, and you know, whenever <laughs> you talk to them, they're like, "Well, yeah, I'm work. It's going to be great because I'm still doing the research. I've still got my notes going." And, you know, I was doing it to make money. So my, you know, I applied the seat of the pants to the seat of the chair and started typing until I could pay the rent, you know, that kind of thing. And so I was more, approached it more from a potboiler point of view. And, um, but, but, you know, what are you doing seriously implies that this stuff that, you know, I was working on was like the crossword puzzle. You do it when you weren't doing something else. And, um. And and that's just a built-in bias in the literary criticism world, and there's nothing you can do about that because they don't like fluff. They only like, uh, you know, hard-hitting interior dialogue, psychological kind of stuff. They don't like plot-driven, uh, you know, compelling character kind of stuff. And you know, those are just two sides of the of the industry the way it is. And you know, to put this in perspective, at the same time I was doing this, you know, fifteen percent of the market of all books being sold were harlequin romances oh, uh, probably so, still that yeah it may still be i haven't kept up with 
the way the market breaks down. Now, I know that things have changed radically in terms of people don't really read anymore. They buy the same number of books, but they're all like the idiot's guide to windows. And, well, and so there, there was probably the, something the equivalent back then in the, you know, in the 1930s, there was probably an equivalent, but uh, I saw, I think it was uh, a picture of the newsstand from 1938. It was on the Sumerian website, I think this morning. Yeah. And uh, man, I, I want a time machine just to go back to, to go to the newsstand with a, you know, 20 bucks. I can be a, could be yep, wealthy yep. and put myself up in a hotel for a couple of months and just just read. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I caught the tail end of that. All that stuff was on the newsstand when I was a little kid. But um, it's it's it was I don't know how to explain it. There was um there was some there's something about the internet that. And, I, you know, everyone uses the word depersonalized, but that's that's not what I mean. There was this club in the magazines that cannot be reproduced on the Internet. It was it, it on the Internet. You find people who are damaged like you are way too easily. In other words, you seem to have a much larger group than you did. But when when the pulps were out, you knew you were a minority and you knew that you were destined to stay that way. It's just that people now don't, you know, the way media has changed, you can have these teabagger guys who think that they're, a, you know, a gigantic movement, when in reality they're a, a very small movement. And they're using, covered a great using, deal. using footage that isn't real or is from different too. events. Um, uh, here's, here's one thing I, I, I want to see what you, th- you, you think about. Um, with regard to Howard and... Uh, and fantasy compared to other fantasy. I mean, when I think of fantasy, I, I don't think of short fiction. I think of novels because really there are very few fantasy short stories uh, that that are uh, memorable in the way that Howard's stuff is. I, I can think of certainly Lovecraft's work. Um, Dunsany. Yeah, but we're looking at, we're looking back, right? We're looking Back yeah. past, you know, if if not prior to the nineteen, at least prior to nineteen thirty nine, right? Um, to find short stories that are fantasy, that are iconic, that are lasting, that are incredibly well told, you're going to have to look prior to nineteen thirty nine, and yeah. after World War Two, we get things that are novel length, and basically there are there are lots of fantasy short stories, but they're not ones that are um, well, well remembered. I, oh, at least not by me. Uh, right. And so, right. Paul Anderson did some good stuff. Oh, okay. But, okay. You know, other than that, um, no, you're right. In in that, it's regard, a it's but... a it's a novel length genre. If you're going to write a novel, uh, if you're going to write fantasy, now you're writing a novel or you're writing a short story that is going to be read by very few people. Yeah, and and I I agree. It goes back to the you know the structure of the thing, and so you know in order to set up mood, you need to have more room to spread out. So, for example, comparing it to a short story in science fiction, where where it's basically just a a thought experiment. What if this happened? And here's the weird consequences of doing that. That you can set up in a shorter form. Um, but the thing, you know, I, I mean, you know, if you look at my catalog, it's the vast majority of it is short stories. And that's because I only have I can only do one sitting things. In other words, I can't commit to 
you know, a 50 chapter book. Cause I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow. And how many fantasy collections have there been in the, the, uh, short LibriVox fantasy, uh, none, none. none. And, and I've thought about creating some, but it I've would just be done very, some... very, you know, it wouldn't have the pace that the, the science fiction ones, because it's, it's that you unusual. Yeah. Yeah, and and I have been recently doing a bunch of the Dunsany and and uh, and, and other stuff from that era, mm-hmm. um, but you're right; it is few and far between to actually find good short uh, fantasy fiction, and I think that that's because fantasy it needs to have the room to spread out to set up the mood, whereas a short story is like this little shiny box you hold in your hand that spins around and shoots off sparks, and do you know what I mean? I do, but uh, but but that. It's like, how did Howard do it then? Right? Because he never conceived of it as a short story. He conceived it as a, as a series of short stories. To him, it was one longer work. Well, it's uh, if you look at, certainly the Frost Giant's Daughter is a short story. It's definitely short story sure. length. But um, a lot of his other stuff is, is more novelette length, I guess. Um Queen of the Black Coast is definitely not yeah. novel length, but it's it feels much bigger than it is. Um, he just manages to do a lot of work in a very small amount of space, I think. Right. Well, when you were a potboiler, you know, and getting paid by the word, and short works were were exactly how you got to eat next month. So you just crank them out. I mean, I think that a lot of people think that, that a great deal of thought goes into these things that, that doesn't really go on. So, it, you know, put it, yourself it, it in It went in before. It went in before yes. the writing. He's, he, he created a character and he said, I'm going to write episodes from this character's life and make them short stories. And when I'm done, assuming I don't kill myself, you'll have the whole novel length sort of approach to the thing once they're all collected and and uh you know i think that's the way a lot of people approached a lot of recurring characters back when the pulps were were raining down on the newsstands and you could get one for a quarter and you know all that sort of stuff so oh yeah i mean we're not talking about most of the most of the stuff that you know is never going to be thought of or talked about um Right. It's, right. it's just yeah, there's, a... there's something, uh, you know, we've got Lovecraft, we've got uh, Howard, we've got a few others. Um, it's it's pretty impressive. He he had this guy had some magic in him. Yeah, he, he did. He again, I think of it as attitude. And if I can take one thing away from this work, it's the attitude of the author. It may not match the personality of the author, but at least that's the way he thought of himself. And that. That attitude is something that's almost it's 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 almost like a set of instructions on how to live your life and to apply something that significant to something this fluffy is a is a juxtaposition that that sticks out in your head and stays there decade after decade. And so it becomes an iconic character and everybody knows who it is. It's it's that it's it's that it's learning dressed up as entertainment. Definitely. You know, um, the, the Tantor's come out with two collections of Conan stuff since since this one came out. Okay. Uh, the first the first one is uh, called the Bloody Crown of Conan, and it's got uh, it, it has one novel and it has two novel novellas, I guess. People of the Black okay. Circle. The Hour of the Dragon right. and The Witch Shall Be Born. 
Um, Hour of the Dragon, I'm I am looking forward to to um, hearing. I'm mm. not. I can't. I, I I've read A Witch Shall Be Born and The People of the Black Circle, but I honestly can't remember much about them. Um, the Conquering Sword of Conan includes Red Nails, which is Brian's favorite, and I I right. agree is an excellent story. Um, yeah. Beyond the Black River as well, which I also like. Um, Man Eaters of Zambula, The Black Stranger, and The Servants of Bit Yakin, published as The Jewels of Gwalur. Um, <laughs> Great. So, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm glad these things are being finally put together the way they, you know, the way they were originally res- in the right order. The yeah, music. yeah, yeah. It really means a lot to the to the mythos. So, uh, what did you think of the the narrator, other than um, his mispronunciation of Cimmeria, or C- well, Cimmeria, Sorry. I, yeah, Todd McLaren. Yeah. I I thought he did. I thought his Conan voice was was excellent. I thought exactly as I expected it to be. Right. Um, and again, this is something I suffer from as well. But his female voices, um, a little breathy, is 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 the way he does it, right? Yeah, I mean, I try to just get softer and talk like this, you know, but... but um, It's hard. It's hard for guys. It's a very difficult thing, especially if you have a major character that's a woman. and Or if you have two characters, one who's a, one who's a cute woman who's a love interest and one who's an evil, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, the bad one. Trying to do both of the... You know, basically I have one female voice. So the only thing I can do is the mean one, she gets a male voice. <laughs> and, right. uh, yeah, and and so I have all these problems myself. But if I, the one thing I would say is that the the female characterizations kind of uh, gave me a shiver at first until I got used to them. But once I did get used to them, it was it was perfectly fine. And like I said, it's nothing that I don't do myself. And I'm sure Todd McLaren could call me out for the exact same behavior. So. Well, I, I I think the interesting thing about Conan stories is generally they are narrated third person. Um, uh, there's, I think there's one story in this collection that is told from one of the characters' points of view, uh, yeah. but um, it, it's not. There's not the dialogue's important, and there is actually quite a lot of dialogue, even though um, it doesn't seem that it might it doesn't always seem that way. Um, but Howard's a big guy for descriptions, right? Everything yeah. is is uh, purpley prosed, well, and and it's again. Once you, when you're getting paid by the word, <laughs> dialogue takes takes up column inches. You don't want to do that, right? You you want to fill up those column inches with as much words as possible. Which is why, if you go back, like you know, like when I do Mark Twain and stuff, pieces that were published in the newspaper because he was a newspaper man, you'll find sentences that are 400 words long. You'll find you know, 12 to 14 column inches without a new paragraph. And that's because you were writing into that specific space and you were getting paid by the word. Definitely. And and so you put in a lot more descriptive stuff. So the story was worth it. Well, more, I'm, I'm not sure style. that that, you know, that it doesn't come across as filler in the case of Howard. Uh, it comes good, across uh, as uh, I think he just he loved describing the colors of things and. And right. loves the and somebody who stuff. knows what they're doing, you know, I mean, somebody who knows what they're doing, that's that's invisible. I'm just bringing it yep. up because, you know, I have had to actually make this decision. Well, if I put more dialogue in, I'll get less money. <laughs> well, I, I'm thinking like just just, um, you know, every everything is is a metaphor. He, he uses metaphors for every, um, you know, every step. 
every yes. every uh, sword stroke has a, a metaphor. Every axe axe uh, cracking down on somebody's skull. Uh, yep. he, yep. There was a line that stood out was, um, "All if you if you do that, I'll I'll crack open your head and varnish the floor with your brains." Yeah, and it, <laughs> yeah, it's like and a he, great image, and he's just talking. You know, I'm just saying, I'll right. I'll varnish the floor with your brains. Right, right. No, I I do like that. The other thing I like about his pro style is he does anthropomorphic stuff to to inanimate mm-hmm. objects. So, like in other words, you'll have two rocks, and they're not sitting next to one another. They're rubbing shoulders. Mm-hmm. You know what yep. I mean? And and it's just a, it's just a great approach that that makes you you know it. That's what makes the work spread out and seem more important. It is and more, more important useful. because of all of that. Because if yep. you if you did uh, I don't know if you translated it to a foreign language and then and then you translated it back without any of the metaphors, it it would just it would seem like all the car, cartoon character characterizations of of you know what they say Conan is like you know the caveman right. as as people say. Um, yeah, and that's a great example. I mean, it's an it's an eat the wax tadpole situation. You know, do you know what I'm talking uh, about? It sounds vaguely familiar. I think you may have mentioned it previously. Uh, I don't know. No, it's it's if you've ever had a marketing class. It's marketing 101, 8 o'clock, day one. Coca-Cola wants to introduce the product into China, so they just mimic the Chinese characters for Coca-Cola. Uh-huh. But what it, actually, what it actually says is eat the wax tadpole. Right. And they couldn't figure out why nobody would buy it. Um, it's very not famous. enough advertising yet to, to convince exactly. people that wax tadpoles taste well. Or when you know Chevy introduced the Nova. Do you know what Nova means in Spanish? Yeah, no go, no, right? No go, right? So, and and yes, those kinds of things would get lost in the translation back and forth. And that's a great way to describe what the pastiche work has done to this this work over the last seventy five years. It has been translated and untranslated and the idioms have been changed to make no sense anymore and um, you've got to go back to the original material to hear what he actually uh, was shooting for and it is clearly much better than what the pastiche produced over the 75 years. On the other hand um, I think that there are some examples I I wouldn't say Roy Thomas is a genius on the level of um, of writing as as Howard uh, but sure. he's he is uh, more consistent, um, yes. and he's an excellent. Uh, he adapts things extremely well. Um, his um, his takes, you know, when he does a story that's not based on a Conan story, which has been done, um, I'm pretty sure they're not all. A lot of them are based on other Howard stuff, but right. even when it's it's uh, you know entirely original or. You know, just using the yeah. characters, um, he tends to do a, a terrific job with with um, the writing. And I, I, I'm yeah, it's not so much the guys who who wrote the the pastiche stuff. I mean, it's that you know, I, I love DeCamp. I mean, I think he's great in, in a lot of stuff that he does. Um, but um, it's the people who you know make the action figures that that took it and turned it into something that it wasn't. Oh well, the the action figures are. You can never defeat that, though. You can... Well, you know, they're sold separately, too. <laughs> yeah. 
Conan's Conan. Uh, see, that's the thing about Conan is he doesn't work. He doesn't work well as an action figure, big because he doesn't have. Unlike the movie, you know, he doesn't have a sword. He'll pick up anything and use it to right. stab you. You know, table yeah, exactly. table leg, perfectly willing to hit somebody over the head with that. And he's you know that breastplate he had in the last episode. He doesn't need that in the next yeah. one because he's not. Even though you know he likes to have a sack of gold under an arm and. Uh, a woman over the shoulder. It doesn't matter that it's the same sack of gold in the next episode or the same woman. Yeah, <laughs> the sword yeah, is not I, magical. The only magic is in in the in the storytelling, not in the, yeah, the objects. Yep, and and I hope someday they go back and redo it, not as the cartoon character that that Schwarzenegger played it as, but as the as the real character. I mean that that was a, that was bad timing because that was the rise of the protagonist as cartoon character. It was you know when that thing was just sort of taken off, and so uh, all the writers just were were trying to grab a hold of these you know super theoretically supernatural creatures in the face of dying religions all around them, and and try and reinvigorate that genre with that with that sort of material and it, and it just causes them to, to have tunnel vision and, and then their end up, their work ends up dated. There's nothing dated about these 14 stories. Yeah. The only, the only caveat is, you know, they, uh, and it doesn't actually, it's not actually all that present in, in uh, these ones, but um, the racism is, is absolutely, you know, the foundation of a lot of his stuff. And yeah. I mean, other than that, um, these are the most vibrant um, writings I've seen in the last hundred years, you know, other than the, uh, he, he really knows how to tell a story um, with, yeah. with, with uh, a metaphor for every, every action and every, every, um, every piece of dialogue, even, even the other characters have, um, have, uh, Impressive things to say, right, right, and they're and they're not cardboard cutouts by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, they may be within the genre; they may appear to be cardboard cutouts. But he does go out of his way to imbue each one of them with some sort of personality that you can have a hold of and and predict how that person is going to behave in the face of the coming actions. Yeah, um, yeah, which is important stuff. I mean, I don't want to turn this into a you know a puff piece. But the guy was good. He was excellent. Yeah, and, and some of his stuff was it was absolutely uh, for the ages. Yeah, I agree. It'll be around long after we're worm food. <laughs> well, let's not think about that, shall we? I've got a f- yeah. I've got a few more years to uh, uh, conquer this planet. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> Just savage, I, I suspe- to savage the land under my. Of course, of course. Well, go out and be spoiled. I'm a little further along than you are, so, um, uh, you know, not that I give a damn, but I, I have a, I have a feeling. You know, when I was young and I looked at old people and they were okay with dying, you know, I wasn't quite, I didn't quite understand it. And now I realize that uh, if I, if I project out this, this. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.